welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets Podcast here in Portsign with you on a Friday. High noon it is in Central Ohio. Blue Jackets, it's an OT loss to Montreal last night. They led 2-0 after the first, 3-1 after the second. Sorry, 3-2 after the second. They gave up the the, uh, 3-2 goal very late in the period. She kind of changed the... uh, the uh, mood of that game, I, I feel like. Uh, maybe it's a different game if they go 3-1 into the third. They fall in overtime for the second straight game. Uh, they are 2-0-2 in their last four. A modest four-game point streak. Um, I've always said this, uh, and I always wonder how fans feel about this. I think I know <laughs> how many about this uh, based upon comments you see on social media or just discussions we have in this in this uh, format, the, the podcast here. Um, overtime losses feel more like losses than ties felt like losses. In other words, you get a point for the overtime loss, same as you did when you used to tie back in the day. And I get it. If you lose to a Western Conference team, they're not points in your conference. So last night's game is a little bit different. But I find it, I find just a a little inside baseball scoop here. Doing what I do for a living, I find overtime losses are the toughest games to write because a pall is cast over the proceedings because the team lost. So no one's in a good mood. Nobody wants to talk about how they played, the goals they scored, how well they played. They lost. And yet, they got a point. And I thought they played pretty well last night. And so it's hard as a writer to convey, yeah, they lost, but they played pretty well. Because many, many people are of a mind, how in the hell can you play pretty well and lose? But you can do that in the NHL. You can do that in hockey. It used to be said of baseball, uh, in Major League Baseball, you're going to win 40, you're going to lose 40. That's what you do with the other 82 that matter. I think in the NHL, it's 20 and 20. I think you're going to win 20 games, you're going to lose 20 games, no matter how good you are. And it's what you do with the rest of those games that matter. Maybe the number's 15, maybe 20's too high. Um, but And there's certainly things, don't get me wrong, there's certainly things the Blue Jackets can do better against Anaheim, against... Montreal, I think, as this team gets older, as their young wave of talent becomes um, more able to use a dagger than they are right now, um, then these games will maybe start going in a different direction. There's some growing pains here still. I know people don't want to hear that. But if I told you today that the Blue Jackets, uh, seven games in, do not have a goal yet from... Johnny Gaudreau do not have a goal yet from Kirill Marchenko that Patrick Liney is injured and out of the lineup. And Kent Johnson was a healthy scratch uh, twice, including the most recent game. I can't imagine what you would think that the blue jackets record is right. Um, And what are they? Three, two and two, three. Yeah. Three, two and two. Um. So curious what you think about the start. We can talk about anything. You can join us on stage. I see we've got one in there already, Don M., and we'll get to you briefly. Uh, we have several chats. Please feel free to pose your questions and, and shape this conversation however you would like. Uh, apologies for last week. As I 
told you, um, there will be times where I'm just not able to do what I am normally able to do because of the health situation. Um, and so things, things can get away, uh, from you in a week. And they did last week. I apologize for that. Uh, the thing I need to do better. I, I don't regret not being able to do it because that's, the, that's the situation. Um, but to, to inform, it should have been, uh, passed along, but, uh, such as it was, it, it didn't ha- happen that way. Um, let's get to some of these, these text questions and we'll step over to the stage. We've got Don, Don M and Paul B waiting. So we'll get to you soon. Uh, starting with Ryan V, he says, do you think we can trade Emil and Jack before they come back to earth? Um, yeah, you know, that's an interesting question. Uh, I, I'm, and I'm not going to, uh, speculate on them being able to trade them. They may be able to trade them now where they wouldn't, uh, or for a different return than they would have two weeks ago. But I think if you're the blue jackets and you've got a new coach and a new system and these guys playing in this way, I think you've got to see, you got to make sure that, that this isn't just a new reality. Maybe Bemstrom's figured something out. That's right. I said it. I fell for it again. Maybe. Um, I think this is the best Jack Roslovic has played with the Blue Jackets. I'm not, I'm not going to convince myself that it's not real or that it's temporary. Um, I think Pascal Vincent is pushing uh, buttons that have been pushed here before through previous coaches, but are being pushed in a different way now. And maybe some players are responding to that more. Um, I think Jack Roslovic has been their best player for probably three games now. I'm not sure we could ever have said that before. I don't. I mean, he's played well. I'm not saying, saying he's never played well before. I don't think he's been uh, sort of at the top of the heap like this yet in his time uh, with Columbus. Maybe it's the move to the wing that's helping part of it. I, I think that's sort of taking some of the credit away from from Jack Roslovic. Uh, I just I think he's playing hard and he's motivated to play well. I don't know where that comes from. He's not uh, hes not as amenable to interviews as other players are in, in the room. He'll talk. He talked last night. But there's no um, – he's not an easy guy to to um, to plunge in on things, which is fine. That's his choice. Um, so, yeah, I don't think you would entertain those trades right now if you're the Blue Jackets because those are two of your top six forwards. And we should all be prepared for it to not last. That's been the history of these two players. but. I think with a new coach and with a new system and with new a new teammate, a new culture, maybe it's wise to uh, um, to let this go and, and see where it goes. Uh, Todd J says, obscure question. We should be getting close to the 1,000th game at Nationwide Arena. Any idea how far away we are? Well, let me do some rudimentary work here. Um, this is not going to be great radio necessarily, but let's do this. Teams all time. Home and road. Let's just do home. Now, some of these are going to count as home games, even though they've played two games, one in two in Stockholm, um, and two in were both of those games in Tampere the other year? Yeah. So they played four games in Sweden. 
Columbus was at 872 home games. 872. So there's still, uh, this season they'll probably get to, so there's still two and a half seasons away from 1,000. Do you want to know what the record is at home? I think you'll be surprised by this. The Blue Jackets have played 872 games at home. They are 429, 340, 18, remember ties, and 85. 961 points in 872 home games. So, how about that? Yeah, that is 30th in the league since for all time. Vegas and Seattle below them, of course, because they've not played as many. So they're the worst team in the league at home. There you have it. Uh, good question. A thousand is a, a couple years away yet. Um, Austin H says, why are NHL teams so restrictive in disclosing injuries? No other league is as vague. Liney's injury is referred to as upper body when it is likely a concussion head injury. McDavid as well with upper body. Um, you know what? I don't know how... I think the NFL is fairly um, fairly clear with them, though not entirely. I think there was something this week that um, – who's the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback, the kid from Alabama? He apparently has a knee injury that has not been reported for weeks. Um, so there's that. But yeah, I mean, upper basically, it's just the team. It's it's the health information of the players, and they don't. If the player wants to talk about it, they can. They don't want to divulge too much about a health situation with the player. And now, in some cases, I mean, let me just look at it at this way for us. And and you mentioned line A. You saw it, right? I'm not going to say he is concussed if I don't know that he's concussed, but I think we can all fairly say it's a head injury. Um, so I think that's part of it too. The league's just like, let's not be indelicate about this. Just you saw it. Here it is. But it's also an attempt to hide. The theory for years has been that a player coming back from a specific injury would be targeted um, for that area of his body by the next opponent. The, that plays him. Um, I get it. I guess I get it. You also wonder, Austin H., this question is from you. You wonder um, where this is going to go with 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 um, how it relates to betting, because betting is such a big part of pro sports now. I mean, you can't you can't turn on the radio or the TV right now for a, any sort of athletic endeavor without being told that yeah, here's some free money for you to gamble on. And if you have a problem, call here. I mean, whoa, it, it's crazy, a little frightening actually. Um, but I could see the league being forced into being more upfront with their injuries when betting on the NHL becomes a bigger issue. Um, we've got three people in queue now on the stage. We're going to come back to the text in a minute. We'll get to Jack M. We'll get to Zig S. and Jonathan T. Those are questions. I think one of those is a comment. Uh, but let's go to the stage. Let's go to the stage now. 
and bring in Don M. Uh, Don, you are on Front Nationwide. Go ahead, please. Yeah, so my kind of question or comment here is lately it's been kind of exciting yet nerve-wracking watching the Blue Jackets outperform a team and still find a way to lose versus when they somehow come away with a win, even though they were the worst team on the ice. So I don't know. I'm kind of excited, even though they lost, that they are outperforming a lot of the teams in those close games. And I think it speaks volumes for like maybe possibly moving in the right direction. I know it's still early eight games in is not a huge sample size, but I'd rather see them lose in those kind of heartbreak overtime games when they were the dominant team than eke out a win when they're being outshot two to one. I just wanted to see if you're in the same boat. Well, yeah, I am. And if I'm a Blue Jackets fan, I'm actually pretty pleased with the way that they're playing right now. The results are the results. I would be, I think this team needs to be, and the fans of this team should wisely be in a more of a long-term a view of things. Like what, what is, I hate to, it's become a cliche at this point in sports, but it is the process. This team has played its ass off now, probably for the last four or five games. Uh, I didn't. I didn't like the Detroit game, but it's funny how when you see a team uh, continue to have success, you look back on a game and go, you know, Detroit's a pretty good club right now. They, they got off to a really hot start. They were a really good team when Columbus played them. That game wasn't as bad. I didn't think as opening night was um, against Philly, but Philadelphia's played better than most people have expected to. So. Um, I really like the way they've played the last four games. Uh, I thought the game in Minnesota was really impressive. Um, and I, I just think they're at a point now where they're doing this without Gaudreau's offensive input. He had an assist last night. A nice one. Uh, Marchenko hasn't gotten going yet. Texier hasn't gotten going yet. Line's out. There's a lot of, of room here for, for what you see in front of you right now to get immediately better. Um, but I also think there's a lot of reason to believe it's going to get long-term better. Um, they are really light on the wings. Like the center position has gotten stronger. Uh, Fantilli looks the part. Jenner is still producing is fine there. Line A is, I'm not sure where that's going, but he's been okay there at times. On the, on the wing, you've got Gaudreau, Johnson, Bemstrom, um, Marchenko, Texier, these are guys that are getting, in most cases, not Johnny, the others, older, one would hope stronger, wiser, that they can start competing in a different way, a more successful way along the wall. Um, and I think you just need those, those young players to get more comfortable. I mean, I think Fantilli is on a really fast uh, pace here in terms of getting looking better each game. But, you know, when does a player like Ken Johnson uh, throw down the gauntlet and say enough and just win a freaking game for him? Um, when does Bemstrom has two power play goals last night? I don't know that he's the kind of get-behind-me-boys kind of guy. Marchenko isn't there yet. Um, but you, you, these guys are really good players. And so you, I think, safely assume it's common. I think there's a lot to be optimistic for both short-term and long-term. So I, I appreciate the question, Don. Uh, let's move to Paul B. And then we'll go to Fritz K. 
after we bring in Paul B. Paul B., you're on Front Nationwide. Go ahead. Hey, Porty. Hope you're doing well. Yes, Paul. <laughs> Thanks. What's going on, man? Hey, I just want to say that I agree with you. The There is a lot of optimism with the Jackets. It's, I mean, you know, it's only been seven, eight games now, but it's a much more watchable product than after the uh, same okay. time frame last season. Um, you know, between all the upgraded of talent, the upgrade in defense. Overall, it's just, you know, you kind of have a, an expectation. Oh, no, we can probably win just about any game we're really in, which is nice. Yeah. And yeah. I, I know Fantelli's obviously added a lot uh, on ice, but I was curious because I've seen some clips of him back uh, in the locker room. Obviously saw that after the little celebration they did with him um, after he scored his first goal, kind of giving him the uh, shaving cream pie to the face. What yeah. kind of element has he added to that locker room? Because it seems like he's he, he certainly brings a youthful energy, but I think think it's got some has gotten some of the guys going. I wanted to see what you, what you might have seen backstage uh, and what your observations have been. Well, I've said this about him, and I've said it about a few other players through the years. I am always um, deeply, deeply respectful of a player who at 18 or 19 years old, 19 in his case, steps into these situations that he's obviously never been in before. It just knows how to handle them. Fantilli's that way. Cole Stillinger's that way. Rick Nash was that way. Um, and you think of other players across the league that stepped right in at a very young age. Sidney Crosby never needed to screw something up three times uh, off the ice before he figured out how to do it. And Fantilli is, is wired that way. He's got that. He has that very hard to find mix of a player that is confident in his own abilities, but still humble enough to fit in really well uh, in the dressing room. I think, I don't think the other players look at him with in awe. I don't. I think they look at him in deep respect because they realize how hard he has worked and how hard he plays. He's not, so many of these guys who come in at 18, 19 years old have a dimension of their game that is just out of the world, out of this world. And the rest of their game can be sort of lacking. Um, many of them don't know how to play without the puck for a very good reason. They've never played without the puck before. That's what the NHL is to so many of these young guys. Fantilli, and I'm sure, I'm sure it's the experience he had at Michigan. I think it's the coaching he's had for sure. Uh, his experience in the world juniors, in the world championships. There is a professionalism about him, even though he's only seven games into to being a professional. And I think that resonates with the players. I don't I don't think it is um the veteran players saying, Oh my god, this this kid is incredible, but saying this kid is one of us now, which again, that is a a difficult needle to thread and uh, an NHL dressing room, a pro locker room of any kind could be super intimidating for a young player. And I see none of that with Fantilli knows how to, how to be. He's, uh, he's confident. He's at his locker. He's available. Um, he is tight with a lot of guys already. And, uh, I see nothing but, uh, really bright things for him here. 
Uh, we've got Fritz K. We've got, I hope I'm saying this right, Javon. And then we've got Zig. Uh, we're going to go first to Fritz K. And then we're going to get to Javon and Zig. Uh, Fritz, you're on front of Nationwide. Go ahead, please. Uh, just a quick thought. I'm a, uh, I started following hockey when the jacket started and something I, yeah. I, was, I was in the building opening night um, and thinking about, uh, I didn't know exactly what was happening when we went to look at the, uh, the knee on knee hit with Hathaway and Z. And I'm curious if you know what actually happens in that time where they go to the review. And I know, you know, we have examples of this in different sports where we're starting to review more and yeah. what, you know, what are they looking at there that goes from, I know we've even had a, a bigger suspension uh, being victim of since with Anderson and line A, but what are they looking at there when they go back from the major penalty to the minor penalty and how much of that is happening with just the refs looking at the video in the arena or do they go to Toronto for that? I'm just curious what you know about that and, um, and why that got reversed. Yeah. So the, it is, it is part, Toronto is brought into it. They want to look at it. They want to look at it with them and see what the replay shows. Um, in that case, it was more knee on thigh, thank goodness. Or if that's knee on knee, Wierenski is probably ooh, out for a very long time, maybe another season. Uh, that, and that was the fear. It happened so fast. So they're, they're trying, they're, I don't know how they reached the decision on that, that it's not a major. That surprised me because it's, it's so long after the puck is gone. Um, I also love that this is a sport that that could be kneeing, roughing, or charging. Um, and they, they took the major away or decided not to add a major to it when I thought they, I thought they should have because that was a deliberate attempt. That wasn't a, that wasn't even a normal – I mean, sometimes I – if you remember the Felino check, and I can't remember – the Marcus Felino. I can't remember who it was against. I, I remember it was Voracek, right? That he took it was Voracek. Knee to knee, yeah. Yeah, and his claim – and it is often the claim in, in, when players are coming across each other, like cross-town traffic almost, that you're trying to slow the guy up. And so you stick your knee out, and it's it's not – it's an instinctive move – more than it is a, I'm going to murder this guy move. You're trying to stop this guy. You're just trying to slow him. And it ends up so much worse than you think. And I, I'm not sure that Marcus Felinas applies to that, but I have seen others of those. Um, there was a Boone Jenner hit with, it might have been a Vetchkin years ago, um, where the cap, Capitals were convinced that Jenner stuck his knee out. And replay showed he he basically stayed on his train tracks. He just didn't get out of the way for a Um This one's totally different. This is the guy who's the sitting duck along the end boards that has released the puck one, one and a half, maybe two seconds before the hit. And so I, I didn't like the hit on any level. I thought it was, I thought it was an attempt to injure. And for me, that, that, that lifts it to the, to the major, realm for sure and maybe even a suspension after that so i i think what happens in these cases whether people want to admit it or not is after the fact they don't have time to process this during it of course um i think they want to know how badly injured the player is and Wierenski it hurt like hell but he knew that it wasn't a long-term 
you know, talking three, four weeks or more injury when it occurred. Um, and so I, I wonder if that is not worked into the equation the next day when they're considering it, because they did, they did review it. They, they clipped it and they pulled it for review um, and decided a fine was enough. I think if he's injured more severely, there's probably more of a, of a punishment there in terms of a suspension. Uh, we'll go next to Javon. Javon, am I saying your name correctly? I hope that I am. You're on front and nationwide. Hello, Javon. Hey, so, yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, so I'm really recent into hockey, just trying to get into it. Sure. Um, my local team is the, uh, the Coyotes. Just wondering okay. what the national consensus is and things I should be looking for. It's kind of like a first-time hockey, hockey viewer, more or less. Thanks. With the Coyotes? Yes. Um, well, the Coyotes have, I, you know, first there's so much to, to, to put together here because there's such a, a fascinating franchise and I don't know that anybody can say how much longer they're going to be in Arizona. They're still working out, uh, plans for a new arena. That's been an issue for a very long time. They have become the league's, um, sort of retirement firm where when teams have a contract that they don't want eating their cap space away. Arizona ends up taking it to help them get to the cap floor. You could build a, a hall of fame retirees, Arizona coyotes roster, um, pronger Voracek. Um, we could go on and on. There's a Savar, tons of guys have ended up there when they're no longer able to play. Uh, it's, I admire you Javon for wanting to be a coyotes fan. I say, stick with it. I admire the Coyotes fans that are out there. I love going out there for games. It's incredibly convenient. I think some of the their fans are some of the there aren't enough of them necessarily, but some of their their fans are some of the best in the league uh, to put up with what they've put up with. They have a collection of young talent there, um, and I, we've been saying this for a few years, but they have stockpiled. If they ever get that new building and and can develop a plan with all of these young players that they've stockpiled to picks, you get the sense that they could be a really exciting club. My God, what if Austin Matthews decides to sign there and get, get them a new arena and, and save the franchise when he's done playing in Toronto? Uh, these are things you look forward to as a Coyotes fan. Of course, Austin Matthews from uh, the Arizona area. Um, so stick with it. I, it's not going to be an easy ride, probably. They're going to surprise some people. They play their asses off under Terigny. Um, And they'll probably win more than people expect them to win this year. There's a, there's a collection of young talent there that, that is really uh, impressive. And just see how it forms together and, and uh, what it looks like. Well, we'll get back to the text in a second. We're going to go to Zig S. Zig, you are on front of Nationwide. Please go ahead. Hey, uh, Porty, can you hear me? I got you. Loud and clear. What's up? Hey, uh, so I know we're only like a little under 10% of the way through the season, but I was hoping you could compare Fantilli's development. I think he's looked pretty strong and confident on the puck compared to other top-class rookies we've had on the Jackets, Nash, Warinsky, the likes. Um, yeah, you know what? That's, it's such a – it's an interesting point. Nash, of course, played on the wing. And had, I want to say, 19 goals or 22 his rookie year. 
Um, I think what Fantilli's doing is maybe more impressive. Now, Nash was, was fully 18, whereas uh, Fantilli turned 19 on opening night. But to play center in the National Hockey League, as Fantilli's doing it, and top six center right now, that's really impressive. Um, and I'm not really sure there's anybody that really compares to that one. When they brought Brassard in, um, he went back to junior, but he came and played a third-line role with Chimera and Voracek, another rookie, and really was in a really successful line uh, until he got hurt in Dallas. Um, so, yeah, you know, Wierenski was super smooth. And you could argue that playing defense in the National Hockey League is as big a challenge uh, for a, a young player than center is. Um, so full market. I mean, would you would you consider uh, uh, PLD in that list of top jackets coming in as a rookie? I mean, he started on the wing as well and moved to center later in the season. He did. And he went back to junior after his draft year. So he's on the same sort of scale as as um, Fantilli is. I think you could you, I, Dubois is more of a a banger and a rugged type at his, even at his age. I don't think he realized how big he was. Remember Brandon Dubinsky continually reminding him that he was a big SOB because he didn't always play that way, but it was in there. Um, and Fantilli plays a combative game. We're starting to see that more and more, but he's not the big truck body that Dubois is. So they're a little bit different there, but the production could be similar. I think Fantilli's going to have 2025 goals. I think he's going to get that record. Um, I do. And it's currently held by. Dubois, I believe. Um, I think he gets there, and I think it's going to be more impressive because of the position. Um, that would be that. That would be my take. So, Zig, thanks for the question. I appreciate it. Uh, we're going to move back to the chat command here. Um, let's see. Joe S says, "What does Pascal Vincent need?" to do to get Gaudreau and Marchenko going. Um, I think he's doing exactly what he needs to do, which is continue to send him out there. I mean, with that shot, I think Marchenko is, uh, has passed on some shots that last year he would have taken. So maybe that's a conversation that they have. Gaudreau is just Gaudreau. I think he's going to, I think he's obviously going to come around. My God, I don't need to say maybe or sort of, he's going to come around. He is who he is. I think he's played okay in some games. I just don't think he's been the dynamic uh, difference maker yet that he can be. Um, and again, it's the first time he's ever gone seven games into a season without a goal, Gaudreau. Um, he typically, I wrote this, I went through it last night. He typically scores on the in the first or second game of the season. He scored in the second game with the Blue Jackets, first home game. Um, so yeah, just keep wheeling him out there and it, it comes around. Uh, I think they've they've changed up the the uh, line mates uh, enough. I think they're starting to to find a fit there. Uh, Jonathan sees his favorite line combo this season. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, there's been so many to choose from, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I thought uh, I thought Ross looked, looked really good with Jenner and Gaudreau last night. They like Marchenko. Uh, opposite Gaudreau, at least they, they do for now, better than Line A. 
Um, I'm still looking for a line to really, to really go. I thought, you know, Jenner's had better games than he had last night. He had that, that turnover, that uh, turnover, um, high in the zone. I think that's the one that made it two, one. That was a very ungenerous like turnover. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know that they really found a line combination that's that's been uh, really explosive yet. So that's still something to to work for. It and as I've as I've said, and I think this is this has been borne out. I think the team is really starting to grasp the system and how they want to play. I think you're seeing more and more signs of that. It looks quicker if you know where you're supposed to be and where you're supposed to be going. Um. And I, th- I think that's why the Blue Jackets look quicker right now than they did in some early game. But there's still maybe a hesitancy about some things that they're doing. Um, it's trusting that you're, this team is good enough to do these things that you want to do. And I, I think, uh, I think they are. I think they're going to realize that in time, but it's sort of a, you know, uh, Pascal Vincent has said that the hard work, the one-on-one battles, those are those have to be there no matter what. Everything else they can live with. And Corrali has also suggested that when the one-on-one battles are there, the system works better. You know what? Your system works best when you have the puck. Seems a pretty obvious statement, um, but I think they're. It feels like there's some traction being uh, created these last few games. There's just not the, the the top guys aren't going, and the young guys haven't reached a point yet where they really take ownership in a game and push it up and over the hill. Um, that that's that's the process. That's uh, that's you know what you wait for. Uh, Morgan B says, "I really like the Blackhawks story about practices." breaking down drills, having guys comment on what they like or how they help. Could you do a day in the life with players explaining their habits, practice recovery process? Yeah, Morgan, I could do that. I'll look at the Blackhawks story and see what approach they took. Um, I have, sometimes I think the stories about drills and systems and those kind of stuff can really leave a lot of people behind or sound very uh, tedious and boring. Um, but yeah, if there's a, if there's a fun way to get into that, I for sure would do it. I've, I've thought about this for a couple of years. It looks like organized, it looks like mayhem to people if you're not there every night, but the blue jackets and every NHL team has a very specific, um, format that they do for pregame. So it's the same order of guys coming out usually. Sometimes it depends on how superstitious the team is. It's always the starting goalie first, unless it's a rookie making his debut. Um, but the flow of it is, is all done by the clock and very specifically who digs the pucks out of the net is the same every night it used to be Roslovic. I'm not sure who it is this year, but I've thought a story about that could be kind of interesting because it looks like absolute chaos while the guys are just out working on stuff. And it really isn't that. There's a, a very organized uh, process to it, down to the second. Um, so that's something we'll look into. Thanks for the suggestion, Morgan. Um, Patrick R. says, has Johnny had previous dry spells to start a season? Uh, he's He has had previous dry spells. And I'm sh- 
you know, I have to go back. This is his 10th year and points are not the only measure. Um, so you, that's probably a good question for him. Has he ever started the season this slow? But I can tell you just in terms of having scored a goal that if we go back to his uh, first rookie season where he played a game at the end of 13-14, but his first season in the NHL, 14-15, starting with that, he scored his first goal of the season in the 6th, 2nd, 5th, 2nd, now 17-18, 2nd, 18-19, 1st and 1st, both 19-20 and 20-21. He scored in his 7th game in 21-22 and his 2nd game in 22-23. Now, good good uh, point to be made that in the previous time he went 7 games without a goal, he's never... He's never not scored his first seven, so this is a first. But the last time he made it to game seven before scoring was in 21-22, which is the year that he had about 120 points. So it's coming, and it just, uh, let's see. Yeah, he had 115 points. In 21-22, it took him seven games to score, and he finished the season with 40-75-115. And a plus, good God, 64. So, yeah, I think the Blue Jackets would take that in exchange for a slow start. So that's what his starts have looked like. Um, Roslovic, this is from Morgan B. Roslovic makes it real obvious he doesn't like interviews, but seems personable otherwise. Um, Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to, not in a confrontational way, I I just want to get, he doesn't like talking about the goals that he has scored or how he has scored them. And that's such a routine part of hockey. It's not about uh, bragging or patting yourself on the back. Um, it's about describing the play. And he's, he is not in for that. And I don't know why, but I, it, one of us should just ask him. Like, screw it. It's not that big a deal. Just ask him. Um, and I'll say this about Jack, too. It, it, you may find this strange from a, a media person. I, we never, I, we never should, and I never do make judgments on this is a good person, this is a bad person, based on their interactions with the media or how much they want to interact with the media. That's entirely up to them. It is entirely up to them. I've heard so many stories behind the scenes uh, about Jack Roslovic and what a legitimate dude he is in terms of fan interaction, caring for uh, kids that have had a rough shake. At doing um, charitable work, that that is, if you're just paying attention, you hear those stories all over the place. If he doesn't want to talk after a game, and there's been some tough stuff written about him here, but I don't think any of it has been negative to the point where he would make a conscious decision to not speak to media. It's just not his thing. And, and I guess that's fine. I, I think the team would like him to handle himself a little differently, especially when he's on camera, maybe not look as, uh, I don't even know what the word is. Unexcited. It's probably the nicest way to put it. Uh, awkward in some cases. Um, but you know what? It's entirely his thing. That's, that's how I feel about it. Um, Aaron P this is not me. I'm not asking my own questions on, uh, on the chat. What is their home record when there is a sellout crowd? Oh God. Um, it cannot be good. I don't know about that. And more, 
that a few times there have been big games and CBJ late and I get home. Well, that is true. They have done that, but there have been many seasons where they, where they did, uh, I mean, last year they laid eggs, they laid eggs everywhere. Um, so, and a lot of those tickets last year were sold when Johnny signed here, uh, not as a walk-up crowd. So, yeah. But, you know, if you think of the 2018-19 season when they, when they had 107 points or something, uh, there were lots of nights in the building that were really good. I, I don't know what the overall record is. I'll see. There's a uh, search command for that on hockey DB or a hockey reference. I mean, you could do record in a nationwide arena when the attendance is greater than 18 one three six. It used to be eighteen one three six. Now it's eighteen one four four. But I don't know if that's searchable or not. I doubt it. I may reach my friends at Hockey Reference and see. Um, let me let me send it to them uh, here during the chat. See if they get a response back. Although twenty minutes, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Uh, Nicole B says the thing with a lot of NHL injury obfuscation is that the injuries happen during the game, and it's pretty obvious what part got hurt. So details shouldn't matter in terms of opponents targeting. I would agree with that. I'm not sure that every other team watches every other game, though. Um, so if you're just looking at a list, you know, knee would be more informative than lower body. Whereas if you watch the game, you would maybe recognize that. Um, having said that, I don't think there's much that's left. Um, I think there's most things are sort of. Uh, explored or tracked by teams before you place the body. So maybe they would have, maybe they would have that information. I'm going to send a note to hockey reference here and see um, if they can get back to me um, before the end of the chat. So bear with me. There's going to be a few seconds of silence here. Okay. Sent that to them. We shall see um, that when they come back, uh, we've got a, a uh, Chad E in the on stage. We're going to get to Chad in just a second. So Chad, stand by. Um, this is from John S. How does an RFA from Ottawa get a 41 game suspension for gambling? And Rasmus Anderson only gets four for taking out line A. Well, you knew that Rasmus Anderson wasn't going to get uh, 41 games. And I think the league takes gambling extremely seriously and should. This is a story that we are not going to be done with soon. I don't mean specifically Pinto, but the sports world in general. As I said earlier, you can't turn on the radio. Sports radio has been saved by this, by the way. Their advertising, their sponsorships, unreal what uh, legalized gambling has meant to them. It's everywhere. Um, and I sometimes wonder if there is a, a moral dilemma with some of the broadcasters who are constantly saying you get you know free $100 bet on this this and then another 25 for your for this parlay and that and then if you have a problem call this number um this is going to lead i think to a lot of problems for a lot of people uh i stay away from it because i don't want to be part of that i i get it i get the drive i really do that's why i stay away from it um it's just the ability to bet on a game in general is one thing. The ability to double down during the game 
and really back yourself into a position that scares the living shit out of me, if I can just be honest. Um, clearly, John, as to get to your question, there's something about Pinto's story, something he gambled on. Uh, while the league says it wasn't hockey, that scared the hell out of the league. Uh, and they felt like a, a very big message needed to be sent. And I think I think all of these leagues are being advised on this. Calvin Ridley is a NFL wide receiver who was with the Falcons, is now with the Jaguars, I believe. And his punishment for a fairly minor bet, I think it was like $800 or something ridiculous, was an entire season. Um, so these, I think these early, I think Pinto's biggest mistake was being the first to get busted because you know a message is going to be sent. Um, and so I, I think we'll probably learn more of, of the details of just what it is that he did. Uh, but sh- if he didn't bet on hockey, I'm not sure what the problem is. I wish the league would come out and say that. But there's something there that they didn't like that was the cause for 41. Um, so uh, to me, that's a stay tuned story. Uh, Brian S says they've played well enough offensively moving the puck around, but man, the defense feels so sloppy. Um, yeah, I all agree with that. It, it is worlds better than last year. Just watch them get out of the zone now. Like that's the one thing as early on, there were long stretches against Philly, some more against Detroit where they couldn't get out of their own zone. They kept feeding the beast. I think there's been some times in these last four games where I've gone, whoa, like, look at that, just up and out. Um, I don't think Severson's played particularly well. He's still figuring things out. He's had some decent games and some not-so-good games. He's acknowledged that. Uh, I think Provorov has been really good. I think Wierenski's starting to come to life. Um, They just recently settled on these pairs, and you've got a 19-year-old Rookie playing in the top four in Juracek. I think Bean has been really solid. I think Goodbranson is emptying the tank for them every night. has been really good. Um, so I would say give it some time. Part of life in the NHL is it's hard to defend because there's some really damn good players that you're facing every night. So there are times for every team where it's going to look rough. Um, I still think they can clean up a lot of what they're what they're doing and what you're referring to. Um, Brian, but, uh, I think it's been a marked improvement over, over last season. It feels like there's still reason for it to get better. Um, TOJ says, is this the most talented CBJ team we've seen given everyone's health? You know what? I'm going to back off on that a little bit. I'm going to say it's the potential to be that, but that that's going to require, um, the bloom of Yerichek, the bloom of Johnson, uh, who did have 40 points last year, but there's another level there. Is Bemstrom a guy? I know he is right now. Is he really a guy? Does Rostovic deliver like this? The potential is there for sure. Um, I'm not ready to stamp that yet. I still, I look back on the team and at one point they had, um, was it uh, Ryan Johansson, Brandon Dubinsky? And hang on a second. I got to do some research before I back myself into a corner here. Um, I think, yeah, he was gone by that. Who were the three centers on the 2018 19 team? 
Um, so I think the best they had was when they acquired Duchesne at the trade deadline. So I'm going to go back to that season. And they had, yes, Dubois, Jenner, Wenberg, Duchesne, and Dubinsky available to play center. Uh, they had Panarin, Atkinson, Josh Anderson on the wing, Seth Jones, Zach Wierenski on D, Felino, Bjorkstrand. It's a pretty damn good team. David Savard. Um, I take that team over this team. The difference being that that was realized talent, and this is still uh, potential talent. Um, so there you go. Uh, this is from, oh, we, I promised you, sorry, Chatty. Chatty, you are now on front and nationwide. You're on stage. Go ahead, please. Hello, Chad. Chad, I want to believe that you're there. Hey, hey, Porty. Do you have hey. me? Hey, I got you. What's up, hey, man? Sorry about that. Hey, uh, first off, all, all, all the best to you. Um, Thanks. But uh, my, my, my question, and you touched on the defense um, a little bit earlier. Um, it's definitely looked better. I think Goodbranson looks really engaged. Um, and I think that the, the eye test and the advanced stats on uh, Jake Bean were really good early. Um, not quite maybe as good over the last few games. I wonder if there's any plan to get um, either Boakvist, um, who you know I still hold out high hopes for after the Seth Jones trade, um, or peak back in the lineup and uh, kind of secondary to that, if there's any update on a uh, potential uh, trade involving a D man. Yeah. So peak is, has been dangled out there for a while. I think Bocus would be available as well. Um, it hasn't happened yet. So unless someone's idea of what is fair changes, I think that stays parked for a while. That's okay. Um, the trouble, I wouldn't say the trouble with Bocris because he has played on the left side and on the right, but as long as they're pleased with how things are going, I don't see Good Branson at four million sitting. I don't, and it's not just because of his pay, it's because of the elements he brings in the lineup the, the penalty killing, the net front presence, the ability to fight, the willingness to fight. Uh, they want Juracek in there. Um, He's looked at times pretty good, although it's it is clear from the minutes he plays that there are some aspects of his game that still trouble Pascal Vincent. It's not just the power play and the penalty kill. I think he played eleven minutes last night, eight the night before. So, you know, that's that's not ideal, especially for a top four guy. Uh, but Provorov's playing really well. Wierenski's coming to life, and I think he looks at times like a pretty good fit with Severson. So I don't see them. As long as they're happy with or pleased with the play, um, I don't see them just shaking that up to shake it up. But I, you know, you also don't want these guys to sit for too long. Uh, so it's a, it's a balancing act, very much so. I could see Juracek sitting for a game um, just to let him breathe as a 19 year old. That seems to be the thing in the league now. Um, but I don't. I don't do that if I'm if I'm really really pleased with how he's moving along. So once once you make a lineup and the guys start to click and nobody gets injured, um, I think 
I think the desire for the coaching staff is to sort of keep it together and let it grow um, and see where it can take you. Uh, thanks for the for the question, Chad. We've got time for a few more. We'll go up until one o'clock here. Um, Christopher A says, "Can I talk you into doing an in-depth interview with Nicholas Backstrom?" I hear. I'd like to hear what he thought about our batch of goalies when he was first hired. How he thinks they're progressing. What sort of potential he sees in them now. Uh, Nicholas is a is a very interesting guy, and I'll see if I can get him talking on those subjects. He's also quite the introvert, and I'm not sure how much he would divulge honestly about what he thought of the goalies and what he thinks of them now and where they have to go. Um, certainly, certainly Elvis Merzlikens is, yeah, I think he can still play better, but I think he has been a real bright spot for them on the whole this season. I thought he played really well last night. If you look at some of the breakaways they gave up, some of the big saves that Elvis made, he doesn't look nearly as busy. He's not making as many highlight saves because he's not turning them into highlight saves. He's just letting the puck come to him. He feels much, he looks much more controlled to me. And that, I think that is a two way street. That's confidence in your defenseman. And that gives defenseman confidence in your goaltender. Um, and that is something that, boy, if they're, if they're able to get back to that, to where he was his first year, that is huge progress. I think his save percentage is at 903. It's probably too early to be looking at save percentages as a fair metric. Um, I think there's some other metrics that speak very highly of Elvis's play early on. I think he just passes the eye test um, so far. He just feels much more composed and in the right spot and a looming big presence in the cage uh, than he did last season when you could just feel the lack of confidence emanating from there. Um, Dan B. agrees that you can't send your check down. Christopher A. says that Zig A. Win Zig wins the prize for the coolest name on the podcast. I can't argue that. Uh, another commentary from Dan B. Fantilli wins the Calder. Votes are not in yet. Dan, settle down. Give it time. Um, Morgan B says, I also feel like Jack is a really solid penalty killer, but I haven't seen him out there. Am I just missing his shifts or is he not on the PK? Uh, allow me, hold on a second there. Uh, Morgan, I have not seen him on the PK, but I'm not, I want some numbers to back that up. Uh, let me just look at last night's event summary. Um, event summary. Handed. Uh, so Jack had 56 seconds of shorthanded. So he did take a shift that suggests second unit or in-game adaptation. Um, the thing with Jack on the penalty kill is he's a great skater, as you know. Hey, he is skilled. Um, he can be a, a uh, one-man breakout. Um, so it, it is tempting to use him there. He had 56 seconds. Forwards that who had more would be, let's see here, Texier had 513. Wow. Boone had 226. 
Um, that's Provorov. Rensky Karali had 435. Zillinger had 219. So I'd have to look. My sense is that uh, Roslovic took someone's spot uh, later in the game for a shift, maybe when that person was in the penalty box. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's see here. Bradford H. says, Goudreau has been looking a lot better these last few games, but is he dialed in? I thought it was noticeable they got passed over for captaincy. But some character guys like Dan Forth and Good uh, Branson. Am I reading into things too much, or is there something here? I don't think there's anything there. I, I think they know who Johnny is now, now that he's here. I don't think he's ever been a rah-rah leader talking guy in the room. I think he I think he takes care of his own game and gets himself ready to play and tries to lead by example. That's not a knock in any way. Um I just think that's how he's wired. I think there are other some there's some other guys that you don't have to put a letter on for their voice to carry, if you know what I'm saying. I think Good Branson's that way, but he gets a letter anyways. I think I think the reason that Corrali and Good Branson got letters, and maybe Danforth too, is I think the team wants them, uh, respects them so much that they want them to to feel as though they have a bigger voice in the room. And I think there was some hesitancy last year from Good Branson as a first year guy in Columbus that you're not going to find here now. I think Corrali is sort of is such a respectful young man that he's probably wired that way too, and maybe he's starting to to come at it. Uh, a little bit more that letter can only help but i i think guys like like uh line a2 and and Gaudreau, they're going to speak their piece even without the letter um so uh, we got time let's see we have time we have one more in the in the queue on the stage let's get to william e uh william e let's help us finish strong if you would go ahead you're on front nation hello sir Oh, you're not there. Our perfect streak ends. Uh, William, I'm not sure your last name, William, says, so what's up with Johnson? Could he become a trade candidate? I would not go there in any way yet, William. No, this is not a, uh, they're upset with him. This is not, uh, he's done as a blue jacket. This is not um, anything final or bigger than one game off. Uh, I, and I, I believe that I, he's going to be a hell of a player. They wanted to get Voronkov in. Listen, they got to keep Voronkov happy. I, I see a question here about Voronkov. Is he going to stick? He's got a deal that if he's not here by the end of, of uh, December, he can go back to Russia. I don't think they even want to take a chance with that. Um, so they brought him up here early in the week. They skated him into the ground. Uh, to see where his fitness level was at. They were pleased with it. It showed that he was doing the work. So he went in. I'm not saying he doesn't go back now. Um, I think he may stick around. We'll see. They're off today. They have a game tomorrow against the Islanders. Um, But I don't think Johnson's going to sit for long. I still think he's going to be a hell of a player. Um, As we've been saying for a long time, they've got too many bodies. Um, Too many bodies. And Johnson could still go to Cleveland without clearing waivers. He hasn't done that. They want him here. So um, other than Line A and Chinikov, who's now in Cleveland, they've been fairly healthy uh, up front. Um, So there's not a lot of wiggle room. 
this is the way it wiggled. I'm not a big fan of it because I'm a Johnson guy. Uh, I think he's going to be a point of game guy very soon. I've said that. Um, but Pascal Vincent knows what he's doing and seems to be uh, pushing the uh, the uh, the right buttons. Uh, Paul B says, "Are you aware Butcher Gross gave you a shout out on the full on the Frozen Frenzy after Adam's goal, talking about how you guys discussed him, reminding you of Mark Messier?" Not aware of that. Not surprised by it. Butch is a good man. We did talk early in the week. Um, I was looking for comps for Fantilli because I've struggled with this. I've heard Eichel a few times. Eh, didn't love that one, but I, I, I can see it. Um, he said Messier, and I went, God, I hate to compare anybody to Messier given the absolute um, venerability of that man. The uh, He is absolutely... Um, just celebrated as one of the great leaders this game has ever known. To put that on a 19-year-old. Um, but the, in terms of playing style, shooting style, that kind of stuff, you can see it. Uh, you can see it. It's a hell of a comparison. Bucci's great for things like that. Bucci loves to play the game. Um, he's a big, big Blue Jackets fan, big fan of the city of Columbus. He's coming in, I think it's November 9th. Does that make sense? Yes. For the Dallas Stars game, he's calling that game. He's going to have a hell of a time in the city. I'm not able to have the hell of a time I used to be able to have. Maybe one day we'll get back to that. Um, he's a good, good person who cares deeply about hockey and the Blue Jackets. Um, he's always been uh, in Columbus's corner, if you will. Uh, folks, listen, thanks for uh, joining us here. It's, uh, it's great to be back. We will try to do this again next week. It's always a good conversation. Always appreciate it. Uh, Blue Jackets at the Islanders on Saturday. Uh, enjoy yourself. Oh, get yourself a Bob Ross uh, bobblehead, too, if you haven't already. 